Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Chris Wark. Chris is a young adult cancer survivor, best-selling author, and patient advocate. Chris was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2003 at just 26 years old. After surgery, Chris made the decision to go against his doctor's advice, opted out of chemotherapy, and chose to use nutrition and natural therapies to heal. Six years later, in 2010, Chris began sharing his story of faith, courage, and determination, and his message of hope that chronic diseases like cancer can be prevented and reversed with a radical transformation of diet and lifestyle. In the last decade, Chris has become one of the most well-known cancer survivors on the planet and reaches millions of people per year as a blogger, podcaster, speaker, and global health coach through his books, social media, and his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. Chris is the author of the national bestseller, Chris Beat Cancer, and two other incredible books that help support the cancer community. Chris is also creator of the Square One Cancer Coaching Program, which has been shared with over 1 million people globally since 2017. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Chris, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center who makes the show possible. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Thanks for having me, Haley. Oh, my pleasure. I, you know, I've been following you for such a long time and I felt like I could really relate to you because you were so young when you were diagnosed and you really took responsibility for your health, which I admire so much. Thanks. Yeah, I, d- I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And I would just love you to share your story. I know you've shared it a million times, but I know some of my audience doesn't, they don't know about you. So please. Sure. Happy to do it. And I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. And I'll share an abbreviated version if anybody wants the full, all the details they are in my my book, Chris Beat Cancer. But I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26 in December 2003. So coming up on 20 years. Spoiler, I didn't die. I survived. I got well. And um, 
of course, it was a big shock to get that kind of a diagnosis uh, at such a young age. And um, I had been having abdominal pain for the better part of a year, and that was the main symptom. And it it gradually got worse. So I I had sort of dismissed it for a while, and there were there were you know weeks where I didn't feel anything, and then you know it would kind of come and go, and it was just weird pain. But uh, eventually, I had a colonoscopy, and they found a go- found a golf ball sized tumor in my colon. And, you know, biopsied it and told me it was cancer and said they had to get me into surgery right away before it spread and killed me. And at that point in my life, I was what I describe as a very typical cancer patient. And what I mean by that is like, I I was clueless. I didn't know anything. Didn't know anything about cancer. Didn't know anything about cancer treatment. Didn't really know anything about health or nutrition or healing or I just didn't know anything, you know? And so when you're ignorant, you're easily manipulated. And the cancer industry especially uh, uses fear to manipulate patients into saying yes to treatments that are highly toxic, dangerous, um, harmful, uh, with dubious evidence in terms of their effectiveness. And when I say effective, I mean cure. I don't mean disease-free survival or tumor shrinkage. I mean, actually curing people and restoring them to health. And I didn't know any of this, you know, so I was just rushed into treatment out of fear. And they said, we got to have surgery right away. Some cancer patients, I mean, they're starting chemo within a day or two. They're they're in surgery within a day or two of a diagnosis, or they're starting radiation treatment. So they're put on some pharmaceutical. I mean, it's, it's immediate, it's urgent. And the the reality of cancer is most people who are diagnosed are not in a life-threatening situation. They've got a lump or a bump. Now, I actually had pain. My situation was definitely more serious than your typical patient. But, you know, you think about how many women find a little tiny lump in their breast and then get a biopsy and they're told they have breast cancer. You know, they have no pain, they have no symptoms. And so... There's this urgency and fear that's used to manipulate people into treatment. And uh, when you're in a state of fear, you can't make an irrational decision. You can't make a logical, thoughtful, reasonable, rational decision. You will make decisions that are impulsive and irrational. And usually they're the wrong decision. And what I like to say is like, never make a decision out of fear. (laughs) Fear Fear-based decisions are almost always the wrong decision. So anyway, I said yes to surgery. They they wanted to have me on the operating table within a few days. It happened to be just a few days before Christmas. And so I was like, hey, can can we postpone it until after Christmas? Because I mean, you know, what's more depressing than, you know, cancer plus being in the hospital on Christmas. (laughs) So I was like trying to mitigate you know, just the depressive sort of conditions of my life at that point. And uh, so I went in on December 30th. They took out the tumor. They took out a third of my large intestine. Thankfully, I didn't need a colostomy bag. Uh, when I woke up from surgery, they said it's worse than we thought. It has spread to your lymph nodes. We took out everything we could see. And uh, you're stage three. And you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. So, you know, that was bad news, right? That was more bad news. Absolutely. Up to that point, I was led to believe, well, and to hope that it was stage two, stage two colon cancer at that time, uh, you had surgery and then you went home. 
and you're done. But stage three, once it's spread to the lymph nodes, it's, you know, uh, it's just an, a whole different treatment plan. And uh, chemotherapy is standard of care. And so I was told that's what you got to do. And a couple things happened in the hospital, two things that are worth mentioning. One is the first meal that I was served after they cut out a third of my large intestine. And that was a sloppy Joe. And, uh, <laughs> Gross, right? Oh, you don't like sloppy Joes? No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the sloppy Joe, nobody likes them. And uh, yeah, I like to joke about it because I mean, really, where, where are you going to get a sloppy Joe besides summer camp or the military or prison, right? This is like prison food. And they're serving it to people in the hospital, to sick people. The sickest people in town <laughs> are getting sloppy Joes for lunch. And it hasn't changed much. That's the whole thing all these years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit, but not much. There's some hospitals that have improved for sure in terms of the food they serve, but a lot of them, yeah, it's just, uh, it's abysmal. So that got the wheels turning a little bit. And then a few days later, I was told, hey, you're, we're going to let you go home today. My surgeon came in to check on me. He was doing his rounds and I, and I, we were just having a conversation about what's next. And, uh, he was like, you know, checking out my stitches and whatnot. And I, I happened to say, Hey, is there any food I need to avoid? Because I was thinking, you know, well, look, everything you eat is going down through the, down the tube. Right. And it's all going through your large intestine and they cut out a section of mine and stitched it back together. I want to make sure I don't eat the wrong thing. And, you know, Will hot sauce melt the stitches, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But his answer was, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. That was it. That was all the advice I got from my abdominal surgeon. And, you know, what's the underlying message there? Doesn't matter what you eat. Drink alcohol, doesn't matter, right? It just doesn't matter. And uh, there's nothing you can do. Uh, to help yourself or hurt yourself. You know, that's kind of the, the message there, which is so, you know, it was so foreign to me. I knew it was, he was making a joke, but the underlying message, right? The message under the joke, like did not resonate with me, right? I just knew like, that's, I don't believe that. And this victimization is very common in medicine, especially the cancer industry. But patients are told, when they go to the doctor and they say, well, how did I get cancer? Why did I get cancer? I'm only 26, right? Or I'm only 35 or I'm only 42. And they're typically told, well, we don't know why you got cancer, um, but it might be genetic. You know, it might be hereditary if you have a family history or uh, it may just be bad luck. And in doing so, what, what is, what, what they're telling the patient is you're a victim. You're a victim of disease. There's nothing you did that contributed to your condition. Therefore, there's nothing you can do to help yourself. Your only hope is us, right? Your only hope is whatever medical treatments we have to offer, that's your only hope. So you just make sure you show up for your next appointment and do as you're told. And uh, it's in my it's in my opinion, it's malpractice to treat a patient that way. Uh, because when a person is victimized, they become powerless and hopeless. And there's so much evidence. There's so many studies. I mean, more than any person could read at this point 
on the power of nutrition and lifestyle choices to prevent cancer, to lower your risk of cancer, to improve your odds of survival if you're diagnosed. There's this huge body of evidence now. Doctors aren't told about it in med school. They're not trained in it. Most of them are too busy to learn it themselves. They don't communicate it to patients. And I think a lot of them are just so skeptical and jaded, they don't even believe it. They don't believe the science on nutrition. You are right about that. Yeah. And they're ingrained to believe pharmaceutical science, which the vast majority of is funded by drug companies who are inherently corrupt and have perverse incentives because they're funding their own studies on their own drugs to get them approved. So, I mean, they're going to lie, cheat, and steal every which way they can. And when they get caught, as many of them have, and most, I mean, there's a long list of drug companies that have been criminally convicted for uh, fraudulent behavior, deceptive marketing practices, all kinds of stuff. They get a fine and then they just keep doing the same thing they did yesterday. It's all about the bottom line, right? Yeah. Yeah. The amount of money they pay is not enough to bankrupt them or really even hurt their business very much. And they realize, and, and with your typical drug, if, if you do any research on drugs that have been pulled off the market, it's easy to do this on Google. Like just search drug recalls, drugs, you know, most famous drug recalls, that kind of thing. You'll find that drug companies like Pfizer, um, they'll rush a drug to market. They get approval through fraudulent studies. The drug's harmful. They hide the, the harmful effects. It's on the market for five to 10 years before anybody figures out how harmful it is. And then they pull it off the market and then there's litigation and they pay a fine. Maybe they, they're fined $2 billion, but they made $10 billion. So they're still up $8 million. Like, Let's just do that over and over again. So the incentives, I think it's just important to point out, like you can't trust the pharmaceutical industry. There's, They're not interested in you or your health or your healing. They're interested in making as much money as possible off of you. And they influence the medical industry and the government and public policy. And uh, they're the, one of the biggest advertisers on television in the US. It's a, it's a really big, nasty, evil empire. Question. Do you feel like in some circumstances, some form of treatment like chemotherapy is necessary, along with all these other good things you could do? Yeah. And and I, I'm not the I'm not I wouldn't ever say that no drug is ever helpful for any person. There are certainly situations where pharmaceuticals can really help save a person's life, like a bacterial infection, for example. If you look at the history of chemotherapy drugs in the last 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, really. Since the, since the advent of chemo, since the first chemotherapy drugs are rolled out, the overall death rate from cancer has only come down about 5%. So that's pretty sad. You think about the billions and billions, really trillions of dollars. Now I think we're over trillions spent on cancer research and development and drug marketing and, uh, and charging and selling drugs to people. Uh, that have largely not lowered the death rate from cancer. That's the ultimate measure of the success of the cancer industry. Are they lowering the death rate? Are less people dying of cancer as a percentage of the population? The answer is no, not really. 5% in 60, 70 years. So that's probably the most damning statistic uh, in all of cancerdom. Having said that, 
I don't want to be too general. So if you have, um, there's, there's a handful of cancers that respond really well to chemotherapy. Childhood leukemia, 10-year survival is very high. 90% plus of children with childhood leukemia live 10 years and they're cancer-free and they go on and they typically have health problems later in life from the chemo, but will survive. Testicular cancer, they're about the same, 90 plus percent, 10-year survival, very strong. Uh, leukemias and lymphomas, the blood-based cancers, tend to respond very well to chemotherapy. But the solid tumor cancers, not so much. Brain, liver, lung, breast, ovarian, cervical, colon, pancreatic. These types of cancers, the industry by and large has made very little progress in lowering the death rate and even improving five-year survival. There was, a, there was a really big study that came out in 2004 uh, that found that chemotherapy for about two, two dozen different types of cancer they studied, chemotherapy only contributed about 2% to five-year survival, averaging across you know a couple dozen cancers. And for some of those cancers, it contributed nothing, right? There were some that it contributed more than 2%, but others zero. And the average was 2%. And so, again, it's hard to talk about all the different drugs and all different types of cancer and all that. You know, it's like, I have to speak in sort of general terms here, but like painting the big picture, chemotherapy drugs are paradoxical because the way they work is they're highly toxic. They are oxidative drugs. They cause oxidative damage. They cause DNA damage. They, they kill cells. They tend to target cells that are dividing rapidly. And so cancer cells divide rapidly and so does your hair and your saliva glands and your digestive tract. And, and so um, your tear ducts, you know, so things tend to dry up when you're on chemo uh, and your hair falls out because those cells are targeted, but also your immune cells divide rapidly. So your immune cells are wiped out. Your red blood cells are wiped out. Your white blood cells are wiped out. Your bone marrow is wiped out and chemotherapy drugs cause collateral damage from head to toe. So it's brain damage, liver damage, lung damage, digestive tract damage, peripheral neuropathy, that's damage to your nerves where you lose your feeling in your fingers and your toes, hearing loss, eyesight, vision problems. Um, and again, the most important of all is damage to your immune system. And this paradox I'm talking about is, is that chemo drugs will, will kill cancer cells, they'll shrink tumors, they will put people in remission, but in the process of doing that, they cause so much collateral damage, especially to a patient's immune system, that as soon as the rounds of chemo are over and they ring the bell and they're done with their chemo, in a, in a very short period of time, the remaining cancer cells, and there almost always are remaining cancer stem cells, which are, are typically not killed by chemo, those are the instigators of the disease, the cancer stem cells emerge from dormancy and they start uh, reproducing again and they start spreading. And the reason they're able to spread and metastasize so quickly after chemo is because the patient's immune system's gone. Right. It's wrecked. So the army that was fighting, that was trying to contain the tumor, that was actively trying to keep this person alive has been decimated. And now the enemy of invaders can spread unchecked. So that's the paradox, right? I, I like to say that chemotherapy is a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Right. I mean, I do think in certain cases, you know, people 
use them, use chemo and it could be helpful, but you need to do all these other things along with it. And I think that's what our medical system isn't promoting. I mean, they're not promoting health. They're just trying to get rid of the tumor. That's right. In a, as quickly as possible. Yeah. And the tumor is not the problem. The tumor is a symptom of the problem, right? The problem is you have immune system dysfunction. Your immune system is overloaded. It's suppressed. You may be malnourished. You may have overwhelming toxicity from environmental toxins or food-based toxins. And your body is in a state of illness and cancer is a manifestation of that illness, right? Of, of a sick and weak and vulnerable body and, and a weak immune system, especially. And so the difference between a person with tumors and no tumors can largely be attributed to their immune system, right? That's how important your immune system is. It keeps you, it helps you recover when you get an infection and it keeps you cancer free. Your immune, you have specific immune cells that their job is to identify and eliminate cancer cells natural killer cells, helper cells, B cells, T cells, they all work together to eliminate cancer cells in your body. And the average person is walking around with cancer cells in their body. So we have this beautifully intelligently designed body that can function at different levels of health and immunity. And I think the biggest mistake, and this is sort of a mistake we saw during the pandemic, is that there was this kind of weird assumption that everyone has the same level of immunity right? And it's just not true, Point. right? There's an assumption that you like you can't boost your immune system. And that's completely false. If, if you're immunodeficient, if you're nutrient deficient, especially micronutrient deficient, then your immune system is going to be weak, right? And so there's a lot of things you can do to strengthen your immune system and vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, all these wonderful compounds we find in plant food do that, right? especially vitamin D from the sun. So the the and and by the way i'm not i'm not opposed to anybody doing chemotherapy we have a huge community of cancer patients that we support and encourage and and some of them are doing chemo and we just love on them and encourage them and my big message here is not don't do chemo i have a i have several chapters in my first book that are dedicated to exposing the the deceptive practices and the inherent risks of the medical industry the pharmaceutical industry and the cancer industry Having said that, it's there to help a person make the best decision for them, right? If you're going, you know, if you're going on an African safari, like someone needs to prepare you for the dangers, right, of the safari, for the risks of the safari, right? This is me, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm not saying don't go on a safari, right? I'm saying, look, it's dangerous. Here are the ways it's dangerous. You need to be prepared. You need to be smart. You need to make a decision on, you know, when you want to go and who you want to go with, right? And what regions you want to avoid, that kind of thing. So the bigger message to me as a patient advocate, one is to help people make a really informed decision and not be rushed in treatment out of fear. But two, to help them understand there's so much you can do to help yourself survive, that healing happens at home. And so the decisions that you're making from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed can have a huge impact on your health and your odds of survival and healing. And you don't have to be a victim. You are not a victim of disease and you, sh and you should not let yourself be victimized and coerced and almost hypnotized into this victim's mentality. You're absolutely right. And that being said, 
you know, it becomes difficult when family is scared and they're telling you, you got to do this. You're not going to survive. How was that for you? You know, I know in the book, you talk about your wife thinking, oh my gosh, you have to do this. You're, you're going to die if you don't do this. How did you overcome that and, and listen to your intuition? It was hard. It's really hard when the people around you don't understand what you're doing. And they all, of course, people around me love me and they wanted me to live and, and not die. And there were certain family members and my wife was one of them that they, they just didn't understand why I chose a holistic path instead of chemotherapy. And the way that came about was, you know, when I got out of the hospital, I, I started to have just this uneasiness about chemotherapy. And again, everything I've said about it, I didn't know at that time. Okay. I had a very limited understanding of chemotherapy and that was, it's really poisonous and toxic and it makes you super sick and your hair falls out. Okay. And I had seen chemo patients out in the world and, you know, and seen people in various stages of cancer treatment, especially late stages. And so I had seen the ravages of chemotherapy, right? I'd seen that not, not like firsthand with family, but definitely with people in my larger circle and, you know, even just strangers, you know, at the mall or somewhere, you know? And so that awareness uh, was enough to make me very concerned and hesitant about letting anyone put those kind of chemicals into my body. And so I prayed about it and I was like, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. I, I trust you. I trust you to supply all my needs. And I need some help, right? It's just a simple prayer of of desperation, but also of faith. Like I was, I believed that God was going to provide for me, that He was going to show me a way, you know, that He was going to lead me and um, in the path of healing. And two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man who lives in Alaska, who is a friend of my dad's. He's actually a business uh, colleague, a client of my dad. I'm in Tennessee. And um, this man, Al Strawn, sent me a book written by George Malcolmus. And George uh, had healed his colon cancer, you know, maybe 30 years prior with a raw food diet and juicing. And as I'm reading his story, I was just like, I was blown away by it. And I just knew it was an answer to prayer. Just knew it. Like there was no doubt in my mind. I prayed. I prayed. This showed up. Like okay, and I adopted a raw food diet overnight. And I just like I was like, look, if it works for this guy, maybe it could work for me. And it made a lot of sense. Like I loved this idea of going back to the Garden of Eden, so to speak, and eating a diet of all organic fruits and vegetables in their raw state, unadulterated state, and seeing what would happen. And you take a diet like that, and then you start adding fresh vegetable juices on top of eating that way. And in my mind, I was like, man, this is like overdosing on nutrition. Did you put fruit into those juices or just all green juice? Well, I started with uh, carrot juice. Carrot juice is kind of like in between greens and fruit, right? Because it is sweet. Uh, but it was straight carrot juice, 64 ounces a day. I would make it all in the morning and then I would drink it throughout the day. 
And then over time, I started adding uh, some other stuff to it, like beets and celery and ginger root and turmeric root, things like that. So I started sort of beefing it up, amping it up even more as I learned more about the, the anti-cancer and nutritive properties of other vegetables and juice blends and things. So, but I just started out with 64 ounces of carrot juice and um, did some juice fasting for five days, seven days, 10 days. And I mean, I was just on my way. It was like an overnight conversion. I went to Whole Foods, loaded up the cart, bought a juicer. I mean, there was no de deliberation. Like I was all in immediately because I knew it was life or death. And um, I took full responsibility for my health. And here's the thing, like whether cancer was my fault or it was caused by the environment or God gave me cancer or whatever. It doesn't really matter, right? doesn't really matter how I got it. What matters is that it's my problem now, you know? That's a good point because, right, as you said before, people look at themselves as a victim and it's, you're going to grieve. It's, it's not a fun thing to go through. It's, it's hard and you have to really look deep inside yourself and, and make changes. But that's exactly what you did at, at a very very young age. So yeah, I applaud you. Well, I had a strong will to live, you know, so these are like, I call this the, the beat cancer mindset. And, and what I realized, and I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, I've had almost 20 years of introspection and research and stuff. And I realized as I started interviewing other people who had healed holistically, we all had the same mindset. We all had the same sort of core beliefs, you know, and personal responsibility was really the foundation of this but taking full responsibility for your life and your situation, right? Not being a victim and, and deciding, well, this problem is my problem, right? doesn't matter who caused it. It's my problem. But I actually was willing to uh, accept the notion that maybe it was my fault, right? Not to beat myself up or feel sorry for myself, but just to, to take responsibility for it and say, you know what? Maybe this was my fault. And if the way I've been living my life and the food I've been eating, my lifestyle choices, if those contributed to my disease, then maybe I can change what I'm doing and change the way I'm living and I can contribute to my health, right? I can contribute to my wellness instead of more illness. And um, that was empowering to me. And also I believed, and this is, I think the most important factor in survival is I believed that healing was possible. That's so bad. I believed it was possible, right? I, I wasn't, positive it was possible, <laughs> right? I wasn't certain, but I believed it was possible. And in in that belief was like the catalyst for my action, right? If I didn't believe it was possible, I wouldn't do anything, right? You would just throw up your hands and, and hope for the best and hope the chemo works or whatever, right? But I believed healing was possible. So, so as a natural outcropping of that belief, right? Logically, it's like, well, then if, if healing is possible, then I need to get busy like helping myself. I, I need to figure out what I can do to help my body heal and what is contributing to my disease. So then it became this process of like, you know, the detective, right? You put on your like Sherlock Holmes hat and, and start sorting through all the details of your life, your past, your present, your beliefs, your thoughts, your, your daily habits, your good habits, your bad habits, and like really sorting all those things out. And, and through reading and researching and learning from other survivors and doctors and experts, you know, making sense of everything that, that I was doing that was contributing to disease and then 
eliminating those things from my life, replacing them with health promoters. And so the obvious example is like the food you're putting in your mouth, right? That's the first thing you can change. And everyone can change what they eat starting next meal. Literally, you can do it today. You can change the way you eat today, immediately. Uh, exercise is a huge, huge thing that's so underrated. And people just think, you know, the, the big motivation for exercise is just to look good on the beach. And that's great. You know, everybody wants to look good on the beach or look good naked. <laughs> but exercise has, is so powerful in terms of cancer prevention and healing. And everybody can start exercising today. Like at worst case tomorrow, unless you're in a hospital bed right now, then okay, you may need, might need a little time to, to recuperate. But what you're eating and moving your body are the two these two huge levers. That you can control. Yes, that you can control that will increase your odds of survival in a big way. And um and and as I read more and more, I just I got so excited. There's there's so many incredible anti-cancer compounds in fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices that I wasn't eating. I wasn't eating them. Didn't like them, right? Didn't like vegetables very much, didn't eat vegetables very often, or didn't eat fruit much, right? You know, it was like I liked bread and animal protein and cheese and milk <laughs> and sweets. Like those, that's the food I liked. Fast food, junk food, processed food. Like I was a connoisseur of, of those foods for many years of my life leading up to cancer. And, and usually people can go a lot longer than I did, right? Uh, it just got me early, but I made this radical change to my diet, adopted the raw food diet. Uh, I found a naturopath. He connected me with an integrative oncologist. So I in a short amount of time, within a few weeks, it had sort of cobbled together a little support system. And this this is actually me answering your question from way earlier about, you know, not having family support, but I found support, right? I and the naturopath I found was the first person to say, you, you're doing the right thing. You're making the right decision, doing what you're doing. And that was like huge for me. I was like, I wanted to just like cry in his office. I was so overwhelmed by that encouragement. Just to get that validation, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, my mom was a big supporter and she had a, she had stacks and stacks of books that, you know, she had collected for 30 years. She had books by, you know, she had every book by Paul Bragg. She had like Pavo Ariola. She had uh, Dr. Lorraine Day, Dr. Richard Schultz, uh, a cancer battle plan. Like she had all these alternative health and healing books and cancer books. And like she had the, the, the famous Kevin Trudeau book, Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About, which isn't, turns out it's not a great book, but she had all the books. That's amazing. You know, she had all these books. And it was like, I, I, it was like a miracle. Like she had stored up all these books for me, you know? And she had the original book on rebounding. I mean, it was just. Oh. And I've seen you do videos on rebounding. Yeah. Books on juicing. And I mean, anyway, so I I dove into to her library and and just got more encouragement and validation that I was on the right path. And in, in a lot of ways, it was easy, easier for me, I feel like, than it is for people now because the internet wasn't helpful. So I didn't get literally, I got no help online. I there was no social media, there was no YouTube. And as helpful as those things can be, it's also you get information overload pretty quickly. For sure. And 
you know, now there's a million websites with like natural cancer cures and, you know, stuff like that. And it's like a lot of it's quackery and, um, and it, it's, most of it is oriented toward getting clicks and ad revenue and selling you gadgets and gizmos and miracle cures, quick fix, magic bullet supplements, and, you know, stuff like that. that right. Cause people want a quick fix. Yeah. And that, that is a problem because we've been conditioned by the pharmaceutical industry to expect a quick fix, right? That's the pitch of every drug. It's a quick fix to your chronic health problem, but it never fixes the problem. It just alleviates the symptoms so you can get through the day, right? So we've got millions of people walking around in a state of what I call vertical illness, right? They're not horizontal. They're out of bed, <laughs> right? But they're not healthy. They're not well. They're just getting through the day with X, Y, and Z pharmaceuticals. And uh, and no doctor has told them how to change their life, how to change their diet, how to lose weight, how to start exercising. Like, you know, and um, that's the tragedy of our current medical system is that there's no emphasis on prevention. There's no money in prevention, right? There's no money in fr in fruits and vegetables. There's no money in food as medicine. Um, the money is in patented pharmaceutical drugs, and uh, billions and billions of dollars in profit for every drug. And when those patents run out, believe me, they they're ready to replace it with the next latest greatest thing. Even if the next latest greatest thing isn't even better than the one they're replacing, all the marketing dollars. All that effort is just diverted to the new drug because this is the mo the money maker now that the old drug is generic. Right. So you have a big following now and well, you have for a while. Do you feel like you're getting somewhere? You interview all these amazing practitioners. Do you feel like people are getting it finally or beginning to get it? People are getting it. Yeah, people are getting it. I mean, you know, I think one of the most gratifying early validations for me was I started the crispy cancer website in 2010. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have a plan. And I just thought, you know, maybe there's some people out there that I can encourage. There wasn't a business, you know, it was just, I feel like I need to share my story. There's gotta be people out there that, that just need some hope and encouragement and maybe some practical advice on, you know, how they can maybe help themselves get healthy and survive or prevent cancer. And so I was writing articles and making some YouTube videos. And before I knew it, people were reaching out to me saying, Hey, that's terrific. I'm a cancer survivor too. And I also use nutrition and juicing and whole foods and, you know, herbs and different things. And I was, so I started interviewing other survivors and I've got a huge list of survivor interviews now on crispy cancer. And you can search in the search bar, you can type in breast cancer, lymphoma or leukemia or, you know, lung cancer, and you will find these incredible survivor interviews. And you, if you have cancer, watch every single one of them, seriously, because they're so chock full of wisdom. And you also see the common threads over and over and over. We all did basically the same things to get well. So there is a path that is, I would say it's not a huge path, but it's well-worn, <laughs> right? Where you can see like the, the, the trends, see the, like I said, the common threads between survivors and the things they do. And so Anyway, the, this big validation happened when people started reaching out and asking, like, can I call you? Can we talk? I need some advice. And so I was doing that. And, and I started coaching people because they were asking for it. Uh, and then doctors started paying me to coach them. 
Wow. That's when I realized, wow, there's there's a shift. A shift has happened in not only, you know, my reputation or whatever, but it was just incredibly honoring, you know, and validating to have medical doctors, you know, pay and get on the phone and just, you know, I need help with my my health. Like I'm I'm a doctor, but my health's terrible. Right. Wow, that makes me so happy that doctors reached out and and you know obviously they saw they saw in me a person who was passionate and sincere and also very well researched and and well read and and you know was communicating in a way that was truthful and just from a genuine place of of compassion and so and I created the site to be what I wish it existed when I was sick that was the whole deal like there's no ads on it you know, it's a free website, <laughs> you know, with articles and interviews of people who've healed cancer and doctors who are holistic and uh, researchers. And I should mention, there's a free download on my website called 20 Questions for Your Oncologist. And this is really important because like I said in the beginning, most cancer patients don't have any knowledge. They have no knowledge. They're totally ignorant and they, they don't know the right questions to ask and they ask the wrong questions. And if you don't ask the right questions, you don't get all, you don't get the full picture. You don't get all the information and you can't make a good decision. So if you have cancer or you're a caregiver, if you go to crispycancer.com, there's a link to the 20 questions for your oncologist guide on every page of the website. So it's easy to find. Just click around. Yeah, those are great, great questions. And yeah. the whole thing is, is the oncologist going to answer those questions? I guess you know if they don't want to, you find someone different. Well, it's like a litmus test, right? First of all, you need answers to these questions, right? You need them so you can make a good decision. But the the second sort of benefit of asking very direct questions is you will quickly discover how patient and compassionate and caring your oncologist is or is not, (laughs) right? If they start to get irritated and angry with you and short with you and condescending with you for asking intelligent questions about treatment, uh, then you know this is not the right doctor for you, right? Just politely thank them for their time, hit the door, and make an appointment with another oncologist. And, you know, I mean, I know uh, my friend Chris Carr, I mean, she, I think she got five or six opinions before she decided who she wanted to work with. And she's stage four cancer. She's been living with it for 20 years. Exactly. Amazing. I've, I've interviewed her. It's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. I know. She's incredible. I haven't gotten her yet, but I'm hoping to. <laughs> yeah, she's cool. And so, but again, like, you know, you're not stuck with whoever doctor, the first doctor you're referred to or assigned to, at least not in the US, maybe in some, some countries you might be, but uh, in the US, like you can shop around and you should. You know, if you want to get your house painted, I mean, you're just going to get one bid. Right. That's not a great strategy. At least get three bids, right? Exactly. Like that's for painting your house. Like you're trusting your life to this person. You know, like you better interview more than one doctor. Right. And ask them the asking these questions. So anyway, that's a free resource, you know, for for your audience if they if they feel like they need help. Wonderful. Yeah. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. 
There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more about what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. And I wanted to ask you now, what do you do to this day to prevent cancer? Are there certain supplements that you take? And and are you still on a raw food plant-based diet? Or do you bring any animal products back in? Or I'd love to hear. So I was on a, a raw diet, 100% raw for 90 days, first 90 days. And then working with my naturopath at the time, he suggested I add some more cooked food back in because I'd gotten really thin and I have a high metabolism. So I went from 100% raw to 80% raw and added some cooked food back in and then maintained that for years. Uh, today, I still eat a predominantly plant-based diet. It's about 98% plant-based. I don't identify as a vegan or a vegetarian or, you know, I, I'm, I don't really ascribe to dietary identities. I, I don't think what you eat defines you. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I focus on eating whole plant food. And I mean, lunch today, breakfast today was uh, my supercharged oatmeal, which is in my cookbook and on, on Crispy Cancer website, which is like oats, flax, um, chia, black seed, hemp seed. Um, I put uh, cinnamon and allspice, uh, blackstrap molasses, some manuka honey and goji berries. So, you know, that's breakfast, big bowl, fruit smoothie for lunch, blueberries, cherries, almonds, walnuts, hemp seed, spinach, blended up with some in water and maybe, yeah, some turmeric powder in there too. And, um, and I had, oh, beetroot powder in it and, uh, some matcha green tea powder. And that was it for today's lunch. So cooked, cooked, you know, cooked plant-based breakfast, uh, raw lunch dinner might be a giant salad or a bunch of cooked veggies. So it's like, I just eat a ton of plant food. I'm very active. I lift weights five or six days a week. I'm in the best shape of my life. What I found is I just don't need animal food. It's, you know, I'm not opposed to ever eating it, but it's just something I don't have much desire for at all. And I've been able to survive and thrive eating this way. And it's, it's a big part of how I um, was able to beat the odds with stage 3C colon cancer now almost 20 years later. And um, and I talk about this in great detail in my book, like exactly what I ate and really dig into the nutritional science of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs, spices, like why they're anti-cancer. And once you learn, like once you just get a little taste of the research, it's so fascinating. It makes you want to eat more, <laughs> you know? And you start craving Use vegetables, right? Yeah, I crave it because, like, I'm excited to eat it. Versus, for me, I had to really learn and get excited about what food could do for me. 
and then uh, and that keeps me on the on the straight and narrow. That's amazing. And so I asked my community if they had any questions. There were a couple things. So one was, what supplements do you take to avoid recurrence or to to remain healthy? So if you don't mind just yeah. telling us what you what you take. Yeah, it varies. And the thing is, I really try to downplay supplements because I feel like it's really about the food, right? It's the food. The healthiest, longest living people around the world, if you've ever dug into the Blue Zones, the books, or there's the new Blue Zones documentary, what you'll find is that supplements are not, they're not a big factor or even a factor at all in health and longevity and disease prevention. It's really about the food and exercise, fresh air, sunshine, uh, having a purpose for living, having dear and close friends and family, a really tight social group, being social. Like those are really powerful health promoting things. And so like, you're not going to get health in a pill bottle, like in a supplement bottle. Having said that, there are certainly supplements I like to take because I feel like there's things that I'm not getting in my daily food routine that I like to add. So in the winter, especially I'm taking vitamin D because you can't get it from the sun in the winter where I live in Memphis, the sun is not strong enough. The angle of the sun is not strong enough in the winter to produce vitamin D. So definitely vitamin D, um, B12, uh, absolutely huge. Um, because most of us, our food is, is very sanitized and we're not drinking water from, let's say, uh, a fresh stream where you would get naturally occurring B12. And so, um, about half of meat eaters are deficient in B12 and uh, vegetarians and vegans, much higher percentage can be deficient if they don't supplement with it. So, so that's a big one. And then there's just random stuff I like to take like curcumin because it's an anti-cancer compound, um, resveratrol. Um, uh, what else is in the drawer? <laughs> there have been periods where I'll take artemisinin, which is like an anti-parasitic, antimicrobial. What else is in there? Mushroom powders. If I'm not eating mushrooms every day, then I like to take a mushroom powder like um, lion's mane, which is good for your brain. And there's a, Paul Stamets has a blend called Stamets 7, which has seven different mushrooms in it for immune support. Lions, it, uh, it's got lion's mane in it too, but like reishi, maitake, turkey tails, things like that. You know, those are the kind of things I take. Again, I'm not getting in my daily food routine, but I don't take a multivitamin you know, and the big, the big pitch that supplement companies all use is they're all, they're all trying to sell you something that like, well, this just fills in the nutritional gaps, you know, just take this multivitamin, you know, in between your fast food meals and you'll be good to go. And it's like, it's baloney, right? Like you have really have to change what you're eating. You can't overcome a bad diet with any supplement. It will not work. And heck, you can't even overcome a bad diet with exercise. You can't out exercise a bad diet. Like you really want to fix your health. It starts with what you put in your mouth. So true. So true. And then one other question, someone was curious about nutritional genome testing. Is that something you do, you believe in? So you know, you know, really what diet works best for you, the bio-individual I've never done it. I don't put a whole lot of stock in it. I think to me, um, humans as a species, I think it's pretty clear in my mind what the optimal diet for humans is. It doesn't matter what your blood type is or who your you know ancestors were. <laughs> humans thrive on fruits and vegetables, you know, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices and, and, and whole grains. Like we thrive on this kind of diet. And 
when you go and look at all the sick people in the hospital and all the sick people going in and out of the dialysis clinic and their and the doctor's offices and the cardiovascular clinics and these people are not eating plant-based diets right they're eating tons of meat and dairy tons of processed food tons of junk food sugar salt and oils right they're not eating whole plant foods and uh and We've seen this in my community. I mean, just over and over and over. Like anybody that that joins my Square One program or just gets my books and starts doing it, like they lose weight. That's the first thing that happens. They lose excess body weight. Their cholesterol goes down. Their blood pressure goes down. Their inflammatory markers improve, like C-reactive protein comes down. There's just a there's a cascade. Their blood sugar goes down fasting blood sugar. There's just this wonderful cascade of health improvements that happen when you just stop eating all that crap food and too much meat and dairy. And again, I'm I'm not a vegan, so it's like, it's fine. I don't have any problem with somebody that wants to eat animals. I don't think it's unethical or immoral or anything like that. But what I will say is the it's the excessive consumption of animal food that is really wrecking human health. And if you study history, what you'll find is that the sickest people in history generally, with chronic disease, were the rich people, right? It was always the wealthy. It was the kings and the wealthy that had all these chronic diseases that the poor people did not get, right? And why did the wealthy get these diseases like diabetes and cancers and heart disease? And because they were gorging themselves, as we do now, on meat, dairy, and sweets and alcohol, (laughs) right? And so, and the poor people couldn't afford any of that stuff, right? The poor people were eating whole grains, fruits and vegetables, you know, nuts and seeds. They weren't sprayed with pesticides and all that stuff and herbicides. The, the pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides certainly didn't help. But I mean, cancer and heart disease and, and, and diabetes, many of these chronic dietary diseases have been around a lot longer than the pesticides, right? And so if you eat a king's diet, you, know, you just expect to get king's diseases, uh, you, they call them diseases of affluence or Western diseases. There's a lot of different terminologies for the same, for this basket of dietary diseases. Yeah. So the good news is, is like your choices really do matter. Like if you choose, if you sow seeds of health, then you will reap a harvest of health. If you sow seeds of disease, you'll reap a harvest of disease. And just you just have to know the difference between the two types of seeds, right? And most people don't. Most people don't realize that eating fast food every day, you're sowing seeds of disease, right? Drinking alcohol every day, you're sowing seeds of disease. Smoking cigarettes every day, boy, you should know by now, but you know, you're sowing seeds of disease. And, and, I, and since I mentioned alcohol, I'll say this. Most people don't know this. The number one cause of breast cancer, the number one risk factor is alcohol. It's the number one risk factor. And people are trying to use it to calm down, calm their nerves and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And alcohol consumption is rampant, right? I mean, everybody drinks, right? Wine and beer and cocktails. And I mean, it's, it's, it's so ingrained in so many cultures around the world as a daily sort of dietary staple almost. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a major, major risk factor and number one risk factor for, for many different types of cancer, but breast cancer is one of them. The other major cause of cancer is still cigarettes. Cigarettes are still number one um, for many types of cancer, obviously esophageal lung cancer. And the good news is, is that um, the rates of 
cancer from cigarettes and smoking are going down year after year after year because less people smoke. <laughs> so that's good, right? That's great. But I still feel it's there's still an urgency to keep beating this drum that like, hey, smoking is still the number one cause of cancer. But here's what's about to happen. It's about to be overtaken by obesity. Obesity is the second leading cause of cancer. Second leading cause. This is another cancer fun fact that no one's talking about and most people don't know. And it's not helping that there's this huge body positivity movement that's like celebrating obesity as if it's like wonderful. And it's not. You are on the path to disease. And I'm not here to judge anybody. Like, hey, you want to be overweight and be fat and fabulous? That's your life and your choice. But as a survivor and patient advocate, I have to tell you, like your risk of cancer, heart disease, and diabetes, it could not be any higher than it is if you're obese. <laughs> like you're in the highest risk factor for chronic disease, debilitating disease that you will not enjoy. Your life will not be better, right? It will be worse if you continue down that road. Well, it brings me to ask, what do you think is the most important thing one can do to prevent cancer or heal from cancer? Both. Maybe. The number one thing is eating a plant-based diet. <laughs> it really is the number one thing because there's a there's a cascade of benefits, right? One, it, a, a plant-based diet with lots of raw foods, you know, raw and cooked, but one, you're getting all these incredible anti-cancer nutrients that you're not getting from animal protein or, or, or dairy or, you know, junk food. So you're getting a steady supply of anti-cancer nutrients that your body can use every day to strengthen your immune system, to improve detoxification, to uh, make sure that your micronutrient uh, requirements are met in abundance. But two, a whole food plant-based diet is also naturally low in calories. So as a byproduct of eating that way, you lose excess weight and losing that excess weight takes you out of that cancer risk zone. And um, the crazy thing about body fat is like excess body fat produces inflammatory molecules that actually promote inflammation and also suppress your immune system. And what happens is your immune cells actually suck up fatty acids and become slow and sluggish and bloated. This is relatively new research. Like just a few years ago, this was discovered that immune cells in an obese environment are also obese. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yes. And so you think about, wait a minute, if your immune cells are your army against cancer and viruses and bacteria, like you want them to be young, healthy, strong, fast, you know, like resilient. And what they find is, yeah, they're slow and sluggish and, and largely ineffective in an obese environment. And so that is that is how obesity is contributing to cancer, right? By creating this inflammatory environment that's also immunosuppressed. And those two factors together, right? Inflammation plus immunosuppression, that's the recipe for cancer, right? That is, that is the ideal environment in which cancer cells can thrive. And the cool thing is, is that you can change your internal environment with what you eat. So the plant-based diet is number one. Number two is exercise. Absolutely. Because exercise turns off cancer genes in the body. Exercise moves your lymphatic system. Exercise produces sweat. So you're detoxifying heavy metals and like microplastics and BPA and environmental pollutants. So you're cleaning house when you exercise, you're improving your circulation. Exercise is awesome. And then the third thing is really stress, managing your stress, because 
if you're holding on to um, bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness, if you're holding on to um, toxic emotions, negative emotions, those emotions will do two things. One, they will lead you down a path of self-medication, right? Because when you're angry and bitter, you're unhappy. And when you're unhappy, you want to self-medicate. So you'd feel less unhappy or happy. And people tend to self-medicate in ways that are destructive. They overeat. They use alcohol and tobacco and pharmaceuticals. They may do things like spend more money than they make and get in a big hole of debt or gamble or get addicted to pornography or, um, you know, binge watching social, uh, being on social media too much or binge watching, like all these unhealthy behaviors, right? Video game addiction. And so getting to the root cause of your pain is huge. And I had to do this. Like I really had to sit down and think about my life and decide, okay, I'm going to forgive every person who's ever hurt me. Every single person until there's no one left. That's big. It's huge. It is massive because it lifts this weight off of your shoulders because re resentment and bitterness are toxic. So not only do they drive you to unhealthy lifestyle behaviors to self-medicate, but then the actual physical manifestation of stress is increased adrenaline and cortisol. And those hormones cause inflammation and immunosuppression, <laughs> right? Like obesity does. So stress puts your body in a pro-cancerous state. Now you're not going to get cancer because you had a stress stressful week at work or you had a stressful month or something like this is years of chronic stress, right? Building up uh, and taking you down a path of disease. And, and so I don't want to like scare anybody unnecessarily, but those are the three big things, right? It's diet, lifestyle, and environment are the three big contributors to cancer, like 90% of cancers, diet, lifestyle, and environment. And so uh, diet, obviously I talked about lifestyle, that's exercising, that's not smoking and drinking, right? And that is also kind of the stress component kind of plays into your lifestyle choices. And then the environmental uh, conversation is kind of the obvious one, right? Environmental pollution is a problem, you know, not working in a factory with a bunch of chemical fumes and smoke and soot and dust and things like even hair salons, highly toxic hairdressers have higher rates of cancer because they're around all these fumes from all the dyes and bleaches and straighteners and whatever. So like really paying attention, like where do you live? Where do you work? What are you exposed to on environmental you know, in terms of environmental toxins, like avoiding plastics, filter your drinking water, get an air filter for your bedroom at night. There's just practical things. You can't do it all at once, but there's just like these little steps that you can take to just slowly kind of chip away at these risk factors and get yourself in the lowest possible risk category for cancer. And I would never say you can be cancer proof, but you can get yourself in the lowest risk category. And if you're, if you have cancer, you can also get yourself in the highest survival category, right? By doing the same things, the highest odds of survival or the lowest odds of ever getting it. It's the same approach. And I wish I could say there's like, oh, you just need to take this one supplement from this berry in the Amazon that they found. But, you know, <laughs> that's gonna that ain't going to do it. It's not. I mean, hey, maybe, maybe there's something out there that really is great and they could prevent cancer and everybody. But but to me, I took massive action. I changed my whole life, right? It started with the food and with exercise. And then it then it progressed into what, what's going on in here. My thought life, 
right? Choosing to be positive when I wanted to be negative, like fighting those critical and judgmental thoughts and replacing them with gratitude, counting my blessings when I was feeling frustrated and beat down and discouraged, um, and forgiving every person who's hurt me. And and I talk, I know I'm glossing over this quickly, but I do go into great detail on these things in Chris Beat Cancer in that book. And then in also in Beat Cancer Daily, which is a daily devotional, uh, daily reader, a book that I, I published a couple of years ago. So yeah, there, there's a lot of mental work to do, mental, emotional, and spiritual work to do to improve your physical health. But, uh, and that takes time. But the cool thing is if you do the physical stuff right away, changing what you eat and start exercising, you you develop this healing momentum. Mm. You get the ball rolling. And when you get the ball rolling, you start to feel better. And as you start to feel better, you become more motivated. And, and it's, it's like it flips a switch in your mind, like, oh, what else can I do? Right? Once you get a little bit of traction, a little bit of success, then it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm... I'm on a new path now. Like you're on this path of discovery and reinvention and re-education and you're on a healing adventure. Right. I love that. A healing adventure. And you, and you just are looking deep inside yourself to see what can I do to make changes? Look at yourself and, and really know that you have the power within to heal. And, and that's exactly what you did. And I thank you so much. I want to get into random round. Yeah. So are you ready? Sure, I'm ready. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is. Freedom to me is, uh, that's that's a really hard question. And I knew you were going to ask it, but I value it so much. I value freedom so much. And I have so much freedom and I'm so thankful for it. I mean, I'm able to work from home. I don't have a boss. Like that is freedom. Right, uh, living in a country where we have free speech, still sort of uh, on some platforms, at least in person, <laughs> I value so much, and so I'm I am a staunch advocate for free speech, and that includes letting people say things that I think are abhorrent, right? Uh, but um, but yeah, the ability to to direct the course of my life, you know, that's that's freedom to me, and and I I do value it so much. The last show you binged and loved. I know you said you don't like to binge, but. Yeah. And I don't really binge watch TV, but we do watch shows for sure. And there was, you know, tell you one that was, I watched recently that was pretty good. It's kind of rough. I mean, there's language and it's kind of rough, but that show Painkiller, which was about the opioid crisis and the Sackler family and Purdue pharmaceuticals and just the whole corrupt scheme involved in, you know, uh, getting the approval for OxyContin, convincing doctors to prescribe it with fraudulent studies, you know, uh, and just, and then influencing doctors to keep upping patients' doses and hiding the fact that it was highly addictive, that pretty much anybody who took it for a week to 10 days was hooked. Yeah. It's a pretty wild series and it's not a docu-series. It has, you know, it's actors, Matthew Broderick's in it. Uh, he plays Sackler, like the, you know, sort of the pharma villain. Um, so, but it's, you know, based on the the true story of what had happened. And I'm sure there's fictionalized dialogue and stuff in it, but that's, a, that's a, that's a pretty wild one for sure. Painkiller. Uh, eye opening. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? When I'm feeling afraid, I mean, I, I instantly I'm, 
in prayer, you know? And when I had cancer, I dealt with fear every single day, multiple times a day. It would, it was always creeping in. And the best moments of your day when you have cancer are the, are the moments where you forget, you know, (laughs) where you forget you have cancer and then something reminds you, you know, and it's so frustrating too. Gosh, I can remember getting so frustrated because you know, there's long stretches of time during your day where you feel you have cancer, you're busy, you're working, you're doing stuff, you're with family or, you know, whatever. And then you turn on the news and it's like cancer rates, you know, or you turn on a TV show and the character's like, I have cancer, you know? And it's like, God, (laughs) the very first movie. Yeah. I mean, it's the very first movie I went to see after my diagnosis was called the butterfly effect. And one of the main characters gets cancer and dies. It's like, it was just, you know, anyway. So, right. Like, why are you showing me this? (laughs) I know. I'm just like, oh, this was not a good choice. But anyway, so anytime that fear would creep in, I would just say, God, I'm not going to be afraid. I trust you. I'm giving you my fear. I'm just laying into the feet of Jesus. I'm just laying it down. Mm. Like, I'm, I I trust you. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to let fear steal my joy. And, uh, and I still pray that way today. And I don't struggle with that kind of fear anymore, but I still have, uh, anxieties and, and worries and concerns, you know, like anybody else. And, oh, and I've had, you know, I've had illnesses, right. I've had aches and pains come and go. And of course, anytime there's an ache and pain and you have, you've had cancer, you're like, Oh, like, is this cancer again? Right. And so I have to quickly catch myself in those fearful moments and just, just give it to God and say, I trust you. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be afraid. Mm, beautiful. If you can have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, yeah. Uh, past or present. One hour discussion. Honestly, I'd love, I'd love to spend an hour with Bono. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to spend an hour with Bono. I think that would be cool. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I love, I've always, always loved you too. I mean, they're just such a great band and we're, my wife and I actually are going to, going to see him in, uh, in, in November. So that'd be fun. Awesome. What is your favorite go-to snack? Favorite go-to snack. It's typically an apple, you know, it's typically a piece of fruit because we, you know, we just keep fruit handy in the house. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do pretty much eat an apple a day. I'm pretty much almost every single day I'm snacking on an apple. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? Simple thing that brings me joy. Just being with my, my wife and my daughters, like just dinner together, you know, or watching TV together, just like being with my people, you know, it's just, I just, God has blessed me with just a, sweet, beautiful family. And, um, yeah, it's a simple thing. (laughs) I don't, I don't need a whole lot. You know, one thing that cancer taught me is it taught me how to be happy in the most difficult season of my life. Mm -hmm. And it taught me how to to practice gratitude and how to count my blessings. And, you know, cancer has this way of teaching you very quickly, like what matters and what doesn't. And so I realized like most of the things I cared about before cancer, I didn't care about after cancer. Uh, and I heard that a lot. I do. That's- yeah. And it's like, you know, more money is nice. A nicer house is nice. A nicer car is nice. Like all those things are, are great. Right. And there's, there's a certain amount of like 
pleasure or joy or satisfaction that you get from stuff, but it only goes so far. And to me, like family is, is the most important thing. And, and my friendships, I, I value those things above everything else. Love it. What is on your nightstand? Right now, okay. On my nightstand right now is a, uh, well, there's a lamp. <laughs> there was a small, like, kind of, it's like a little framed, it's like a little framed Bible verse. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you and harm you, prosper you not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Uh, that's from Jeremiah. That's on there. Sometimes there's a book on there. <laughs> Um, my computer's on there, although I don't charge it at night. I have a laptop that sits there sometimes. And there's a there's a pair of blue light blocking glasses <laughs> that I put on. Like when we get in bed, we'll usually like we'll watch, you know, maybe 30 minutes of TV or something before bed. And yeah, I'll put my blue light blockers on. And... What is your favorite form of exercise? Yeah, I, I'm sort of, I've been a CrossFitter for over a decade, I guess. So that what, what I love about it is it's not just one form. <laughs> like <laughs> for somebody who's ADD as I am, I like variety a lot. So I, I love the, the functional fitness type training, CrossFit type training. And so showing up and, you know, doing whatever, whether it's running or pushups or pull-ups or sit-ups or deadlifts or bench press, or, you know, just like, I love anything active, anything challenging. I, I love the, the, there's a competitive aspect to it and the camaraderie of the community that, that is really fun for me. Yeah. I just, I just love it. And so, and I just have so many dear friends that I've made through that community, through that fitness community. Yeah. So there isn't, there's really one thing. It's just, I just love to show up, see my friends, like do some hard work, struggle, you know, suffer a little bit, get really hot and sweaty and my blood pumping and, uh, and get through a, a difficult, you know, a difficult, difficult workout. <laughs> that's great. Cause it, you know, you're incorporating the community and you do it together and you hold each other accountable, which is so good. Yeah. The, I encourage anybody to look into that kind of that kind of exercise because the community aspect is one that keeps you, it actually keeps you coming back. Like, you know, the lonely sort of like 24 hour gym membership, that's pretty hard to maintain. It's hard to just go to the gym and sit there with your headphones on and do your curls or push the machine or what, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, you feel good when you're done exercising that way, but it's, there's a whole nother level if you can find a community, whether it's Zumba or yoga or CrossFit or something where you're in a, a class and you're part of a community and you make friends and that keeps you coming back. So you get double the benefit, you get the social benefit and you get the, you know, the physical benefit. Yeah. Yes. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Oh man, gosh, I, you know, I'm really, really grateful for my wife. Just really grateful for her. She's We've been married 22 years. We've been together 28 years. And she she did one of the bravest things of anybody I know is that she agreed to start a family with me just a few months after my cancer diagnosis. Mm. And, you know, like she didn't know if I was going to live or die. Mm. 
And that, I mean, but she wanted, you know, she loved me enough to take that huge risk, you know, like it still, I mean, it still gets me a little choked up even almost 20 years later. Right. And so, yeah, very, very grateful for her and and for our two beautiful daughters. So nice. (laughs) And last, well, we talked about where people can reach you, but let's just have you give your website one more time so people can hear it again. Sure. ChrisBeatCancer.com. And you can also find me at ChrisBeatCancer on Facebook, ChrisBeatCancer on Instagram, ChrisBeatCancer on YouTube. Although I don't know for how long on YouTube, they've started censoring me and d- taking my videos down. Oh, no. Videos that have been up for 10 years, they've taken down videos on the Gerson therapy, interviews with cancer survivors, interviews, an interview with Dr. Kelly Turner, who wrote Radical Remission. They took that down. Mm. It, the censorship on YouTube it, it has gotten really alarming just in the last month. All this is all this has happened in, in the last month. So they just made a policy change and they've just started deleting all kinds of content that they're calling medical misinformation. So, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. The best place is crispycancer.com for sure. sure. I mean, it's a huge site, tons of resources, all these interviews and with survivors and doctors and experts are all there for you to learn for free. And uh, of course, there's links to my books there. And and our we have a private coaching program called Square One that you mentioned earlier. And if somebody, if you're really serious and you you want some accountability and want to be a part of a community, and and uh, you could look into joining our coaching program. There's a link that says coaching. Yeah, I listened to it when you first did it, and I was taking such no. I mean, I still have my notebook full of notes. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This was so great. And I know it's going to help my audience so much and give them hope. And that's what this podcast is all about. So I can't thank you enough for being on. Thank you for having me, Haley. It was really fun. Love the questions and just appreciate the opportunity to share my story and some of the things I've learned with your audience. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.